it's everywhere and nowhere. I just thought yeah. that was kind of like a perfect yeah, encapsulation like... of what the Midwest is. Like, it's concrete, it exists, but it doesn't quite match up with uh, yeah. the record or the mythology. I don't know. I mean, it took me a long time to like get comfortable and embrace the fact that I'm from here. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Fruitless, a podcast hosted by me, Josiah Sutton. This is episode one, Searching for a Midwestern Weirdness, featuring Josh Christensen. Welcome to Fruitless and all that. I am joined today by Josh Christensen, who I thought would be a good first guest, because uh, I kind of wanted for the first few guests to have people that I feel really natural talking to, um, and just when you, you just naturally have interesting conversations with, always. Um, and, you know, like, w- we usually do these, like, Discord calls, like, once, you know, every couple weeks. And I always am like, ah, I wish I was recording that. That was all the interesting. <laughs> so this time I'm recording it. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, yeah, it's an honor, buddy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun to be uh, creating some content again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, talking about, talking about some stuff. Some stuff. Yeah. Maybe, maybe do you want to kind of like introduce yourself and then we can like. Oh, yeah. I, I suppose I should. Um, my name's Josh. Uh, I'm Noam Chamsky on Twitter. Um, I'm mostly in Josiah's mentions these days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, right now, professionally uh, editing some videos and doing some other part-time stuff on the side, but uh, I'm finally a creative uh, again. That's 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 a good feeling. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, trying to ramp up uh, other stuff in my personal brand. Um Working on some projects, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, I'm just I'm just a dude. Just a dude making stuff. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun. I I don't know. That's a good thing to be though. That's that's what I'm doing too. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we uh, so we're we're both uh, kind of mid midwesterners, and I, I I gave Josh like the vaguest topic possible, um. And then didn't really have like any specific reading to do or anything about it, but it's just like, oh, we'll talk about this. Um, but you went ahead and did a bunch of reading on it. So, so yeah. the topic I wanted to do was, yeah, the, the Midwest as like a concept, because it was something that we've talked quite a bit about and kind of just keep coming back to both as like Midwestern kind of leftists with evangelical backgrounds. There's like, I don't know, a really specific thing that is, um, and I, I don't know what I was what I was struck by, and I think kind of what we're getting into is um, that it's really hard to talk about the Midwest in a way that you would talk about pretty much any other region of the country. And part of that is because the Midwest has this mythology of being like the definition of normalness, um, which is ex- kind of like the book that you read uh, leading up to this kind of a thesis that he comes back to a lot. So maybe you want to yep. talk about that real quick. Yep. Uh, so the book I read before this was Midwest Futures by Phil Chrisman, um, yeah. a a small, a pretty short essay collection, just kind of about the history and future 
or you know kind of the past present and future of the midwest um as an idea as uh as a geography as um a collection of people uh and yeah that that's a big part of it uh is you know the 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 midwest is for lack of a better term america's repository for normalness um for a baseline um and the thing is that's not true <laughs> at all no not at all uh but it's something midwesterners have internalized um because as we've been mm-hmm. talking about the midwest and and leading up to to this and then the reason for me even reading the book was realizing we had kind of no idea at the end of the day what the midwest even was yeah like it it it's a collection of things but it never holds together in a truly cohesive way yeah um and that's uh and and Phil Christman's book like the the opening like the opening chapter is 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 so perfect because he kind of revisits the moment uh that he kind of figures is the birth of the midwest um mm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here i forget the names of everybody involved but he names like the government surveyor that jefferson appointed to like begin mm. the survey of newly acquired um lands the you know the old northwest territory um but it, it's it's basically so there there is a, a historical marker somewhere in ohio um mm. which is basically like for all intents and purposes where the midwest started you know it's where a mm-hmm. survey crew like uh you know started doing their work it's not the real spot because like it's owned by an energy company and then there's like another state land or you know some other mm. uh private land um i don't know it's just obscured so like the spot that's marked is is not the actual spot it's everywhere and nowhere i just thought yeah. that was kind of like a perfect yeah, encapsulation like- of what the midwest is like it's concrete it exists but it doesn't quite match up with uh the yeah. record or the mythology yeah yeah um you know i you know i was thinking a lot about i i, sh- I could probably introduce this side of it because i really started thinking about this subject last summer um which is what went on to then um you know i have a, a rough draft of a novel that you are one of the few people that have read uh yeah. <laughs> that's that's about the, the Midwest. privileged few <laughs> yes um and part of where i got that idea was i, I went out to um do a internship at i, I could probably say the name because i don't think it's a big deal um the donna reed foundation in uh denison iowa and so i did this like little history internship for like a month out there um and you know i it was a really weird experience for for a number of reasons interesting experience but it really got me thinking about like how the us or the midwest imagines itself in part because i was literally like at the you know at the donna reed foundation if if you want a perfect example of like how the world perceives iowans at least like donna reed was that at one point in history you know what i mean right yeah and um you know what what struck me is like i ended up having a part during this internship where i was going through like property records and stuff and it it really dawned on me just to what extent like this image of a bunch of you know folks walking out to the midwest and like planting down is not what happened it was a bunch of like rich assholes that you know you know went and they started property companies and they bought up a bunch of land and the best part with denison is they um they lied so they they took uh pictures from i believe it was either it was either st louis or chicago and they like captured them as like this is what denison is 
And this, which is this this like tiny small town in the Midwest in in Iowa, Western Iowa. And that was like what they were passing out to people on the East Coast to come out and settle. But then like once they got out there, it's like, well, you know, I I lost, you know, a child on my way out here. It was such a disaster. I guess this is where I live now. And so everybody like in the Midwest kind of traces themselves back to a feeling of being ripped off is kind of a thesis that I... (laughs) I just got out of yeah, yeah uh right i mean phil chrisman's book is like it tackles that head on like you know we want to like lay claim to sort of the settler you know pioneer frontiersman mythology but yeah the reality is once the army cleared the the natives off the land speculators mm. basically carved it up sold it off to other capitalists first and then the leavings were like sort of you know yeah. splintered off and given to whoever wanted you know to yeah um uh, whoever else could afford it um yeah it's it, it's just been the same shit forever it's well it's always been kind of a lie because um you know i'll, I'll keep showing my cards a little bit because this is stuff i talk about in <laughs> the rough draft i probably shouldn't be doing that but um you know like uh, a reoccurring thing that you know comes up in the very beginning of of the writing project i did is that the midwest is conceived of as a prairie but it hasn't been a prairie for at least a hundred, if not more, two hundred years. Um, it so Iowa specifically, anyway, is the most ecologically altered state in the entire country, which is a thing that people don't know. That it's ninety nine percent altered. Almost everything from it isn't indigenous plant wise. That's wild. And I, when you get the images of like Little House on the Prairie, the prairies and that kind of stuff, that's not what the prairies looked like. The prairies were like fucking jungles. Like supposedly, you know, it, it was like incredibly loud when they would cut down the grass because the grass was so fucking old and yeah. established. And so like there's all these images we kind of have in our mind of what the Midwest is that are kind of just built off the mythology that comes from, you know, mentioned the uh, Turner's frontier thesis, right? Like that's kind of where w- what we imagine the Midwest is, is like the I don't know. Yeah, no, it's uh yeah, the past is so alien. Mm-hmm. Like it's so much weirder than we can conceive of. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, I've been focusing in on like uh yeah, Midwestern weirdness. Um and and mm. so like I not only read uh Midwest Futures, but I I recently finished Graber's and Wengro's Dawn of Everything. Oh yeah. Uh, I read is... the first chapter of it. <laughs> oh yeah, dog. Um <laughs> It's great. It's a good book. Uh, I really liked I that know. chapter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it keeps it keeps getting good. Uh, yeah. um, and then been working my way through an indigenous people's history of the United States. So I've really mm. been going after the deep lore of the Midwest. Um, yeah, yeah. And in earlier times, I uh, I don't know. I, I'd been very interested in like the specific region I grew up in in Minnesota, and specifically mm. like the history of like the native peoples there. Um, because yeah, yeah. Thinking about it, like there's, there's that sort of frontiersman aspect, but there's also this sense of like, uh, like, uh, not non-complicity. I don't know. Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like I got a very Minnesotan liberal education on, on the settling of the state, Mm -hmm. um, which, uh, I don't know. I feel like my history curriculum was not shy about, uh, sort of reveling in the atrocities of, you know, Southerners committed against, uh, black people. Um, it's like, you know, it was, it was presented like, 
oh, that's fucked up. We would never do that. We're good. Meanwhile, I'm living in a town of like 2,500 and we're all white, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't so much a covering over of like historical atrocity, but so much as like, but, but that, but it was ensconced in a like, oh, we're such a nice rural community with good liberal values and, and not yeah. like, I mean, and that was definitely like the, I don't know, I suppose the, a product of the school itself because yeah, mm-hmm. my town was, you know, very much, you know, fraught. I mean, overall it's going to skew conservative these days, but like most right. of the high, most of the school teachers are pretty like liberal leaning and there's definitely like, a, um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, a proud liberal tradition in Minnesota. Like, I mean, it's yeah. usually, you know, everybody's like, Oh, it's a blue state. It's nice there. It's quaint. Um, uh, mm. but yeah, then we produce like Michelle Bachman's and, uh, yeah like there's enough there's enough cranks there um anyway no like there's this sense of like innocence oh we didn't do anything bad to get here the land was just open we took it you know Mm -hmm. um and and i do think like the the town i grew up in like grew out grew out of a um like a sawmill and logging camps before that Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, it was still ju- it was still an industrialist planting a um, a thing. Right. It might have been you know uninhabited land, but it was territory like historically controlled by either the Lakota Sioux or um, Anishinaabe uh, peoples, um, uh, or the, the Ojibwe uh, is the other name, but I think Anishinaabe is the actual one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, there's like a I mean. I feel kind of dubious bringing up like a Patton Oswalt joke because he's in kind of an embarrassing phase right now, but um, <laughs> it just seems like, I don't know. I feel like he did something. I'm like, ah, I don't care about Patton right now, but I like Patton Oswalt. Um, I don't know. He, he had some joke about like, uh, I don't know, like sort of contrasting like East and West coast. So he grew up on the East coast and it's like, Oh, we had all these great stories about like, Oh, this is Plymouth rock. And I mean, and of course those stories weren't great, but you know, like on the East yeah, coast, there yeah. was this, this, mythology, you know, this, very, yeah. this very sanitized, you know, vision and, and very like clear cut vision of American identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he talks about living in, uh, in Los Angeles where every place is either, Oh, some like dentist in the fifties just started a subdivision or it's like, oh, this is the ferry crossing where Glanton's gang scalped a bunch of settlers or something. Like it's you know, like it's either it's either like ridiculously recent or there was some horrible massacre that happened there. Cause it's like yeah. there's enough records of like all the shit that went down in like California, you know, during the settlement of it. But yeah, like uh I don't know, there's not as much of a nobody really wants to like lay claim to the violence inherent of of you know western expansion especially in the midwest and yeah and well so i I, one one aspect of the midwest i was going to bring up and this this ties into it is the the almost uh historylessness of it like the a like there there's the sense of like i don't know when i until much more recently when i would think of the history of iowa right i would think of 1850 would probably be the like latest you know what i mean like the oldest stuff in Iowa, um, for the most part, is like you know, like I live near Des Moines. Like, like the church that I I go to actually, um, you know, is like was you know cathedral built by you know some of the early Des Moines people. You have like those old kind of buildings in like Des Moines, but like that's that's about it. And then you have some relics of maybe like an older time in the fact that the city's called Des Moines, which is a French word, uh, you know, and kind of 
Anglicanized in its pronunciation or like, you know, there's a lot of towns that have similar like French things. So it's like, okay, there were French colonies here at one point, but like, there's no real like, you know, sense that that's still here, that the French culture has lived on in Iowa. You know what I mean? There's just like a, a just silence that hits once you get yeah. around the 1850s, except for one of the om- oldest things in Iowa is, uh, and I'm forgetting the name of the place, but it's uh, a set of mounds that were indigenous. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so it's like you have these little like relics from a distant time, but like all of it, I don't know, it 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 feels like it's just a silent place that was a blank slate. And in part, that's because of our like complete ecological destruction of it to make it a, you know, a farm state. Um, right. There's just nothing left of this like thousands and thousands of hi- years of history that occurred here and it really just in our in my mind you know i i mean i get i think of the feeling of when i was looking at the property records of denison it starts in 1859 that's where the history starts there's nothing before it because <laughs> it yeah, starts yeah. with the arrival of the you know the investors and the property you know it's no it's it's well like i i've thought about that a lot over the years um is how uh like the things that look like relics in my town were probably built like in the like during the the WPA like mm-hmm. you know it's all that old new deal stuff that got yeah, built out yeah, like yeah. the old library um because before that it was just a logging camp you know like it was just woods on mm-hmm. a river um uh the rum river uh <laughs> that's that's a funny story about um but I'll I'll pivot it that is but no, no, it's funny you mentioned that, like, for Iowa, like, how it was sort of, uh, that sense of, it starts at about 1850. Well, like, in, in Minnesota, there's this, like, I, I, I'm from, yeah, central Minnesota, so just a bit south of where the geography gets, starts to get real interesting. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's, that's where, like, it's, it's more rural for a long time, and, uh, you know, it's more, more woods and hills and, and stuff, but, you know, I, I, I remember, like, in kindergarten going to a national park and like reading all this stuff. It's like, Oh, these features were carved by the glaciers and time immemorial. Mm-hmm. So there's this like sense of deep history of like kind of knowing, Oh wow, yeah. this land has existed for a long time. But then it just sort of skips ahead to like, Oh, we have a bunch of towns and everything's cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's right. No, a lot of shit happened. A lot of shit yeah, happened before a lot that of shit happened because like, I don't know. I, I had a trip in college where I went to Paris. Right. And like, you know, like I stood in like Saint-Chapelle, which was made in like the 13th, 14th century, like that's fucking old. Yeah. And, you know, and I went to a place like I, I think it was under under the Louvre where you can see the Louvre before the Louvre, like the the original old uh, castle that the Louvre like replaced during like the uh, the early modern. And it's like these are these are bricks I'm looking at that were uncovered recently that are from like 800 where yeah. the fuck's that like we don't have that and of course that's kind of an american phenomenon in some yeah. sense because but even then if you go to boston or something there is this like yeah. sense of like okay the er- connection to the early modern period or whatever but the midwest no, yeah. part of its mythology is the lack of a mythology it kind of feels like right yeah it's yeah. just the blank slate it's just a kind of place that appeared and you know the history is all supposed to kind of feel quaint it's supposed to be kind of like, you know, right. the history of the Midwest, you, you go to these like small, like tourist trap towns and they'll show you around these historic buildings that were built in like 1889. And yep. it's not that that's not cool, but like, yeah, 
it's all about like look how different it used to be versus now when it is part of this like broader it was part of this broader historical trajectory of like you know obviously genocide and shit but also like imperial expansion and you know a lot occurred (laughs) yeah i mean right i mean the the america's push west was a a long and brutal road (laughs) yeah no, no, I know what you mean. It's like you, you go to those towns and it's like, oh, this was a furniture factory back then. Oh, cool. We've been making furniture yeah. the same way for, you know, like basic yeah. like machines in a configuration similar to this. Yeah. Like this, this store yeah. used to be a movie theater, you know, cool. like it's stuff like that. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> this, this business was another business a long time ago. Um, the story of the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, that quaint narrative. Oh, some nice people showed up and then they worked hard and made a nice town. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's like, uh, I don't um, So I feel like I have the benefit of being a Minnesotan uh, and, and sort of having like a stronger regional identity, like actually mm. being of, of like uh, Northern European heritage and living in Minnesota. Like, um, mm-hmm. and I can trace some roots back, like, I don't know. Like, I think they, like all my folks were still in Europe like before 1900. Like, I feel like they were kind of like early immigration waves. So I don't have roots back to like settlement, uh, or, oh man. (laughs) I, uh, Um, yeah, I have, um, at least my dad's side of the family goes back to, uh, like pretty sure from the Mayflower. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm I'm American as hell. Uh, wow, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a little tricky because we can get them up to the coasts during around the Revolutionary Era. era but it, I think my family's always been on the skirts of the law a bit. So there's a Walter Sutton that kind of just dis or not Walter a William Sutton that just kind of disappears. For oh, man. Uh, yeah. we don't really know where he comes from, and it's uh, we kind of assume it's because he probably wasn't on the right side of things but <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> anyway but i'll just say like it, it yeah that's I, I don't know i guess i don't know i think i'm just giving a fun yeah, fact about but, myself but, but. <laughs> no but no it's it's weird how like yeah. um i mean especially like when you grow up watching movies like these are things made by people who live in los angeles and oftentimes reflecting a very mm-hmm. east coast sensibility i mean you know both and like it mm-hmm. there there's not so much like there is a in actual fact, there is a Midwestern cinema. People make movies here. Like, yeah, it, absolutely. Um, right. Mi- like, in fact, many of the people who go on to make movies came from the Midwest because they had to get out. Mm. Um, but uh, shit, where was I going with that? I don't know. But like, I mean, the images you get shown of American identity, it's like, uh, you know, like trying to like trace it back to the colonial area era. And it's like, okay, all my, all my uh, ancestors there, they seem to be like farmers or other sort of like lower middle class folks yeah um they kind of showed up in the late 18 1800s or early 1900s like you know weren't really on the bleeding edge of anything um you know <laughs> just kind of yeah. like boring industrious people who kind of like made their way uh <laughs> um, right i don't know but there's uh and I've, I've grown to appreciate that because i don't have to like take responsibility for like the awful shit I guess I don't sure. Yeah. Not that there's any that. real taking responsibility. It's just kind of like, yeah, well, blah, what blah, does blah, that but, mean now? Yeah. 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 I, but, but I'm thankful that like a pillar of my identity isn't like a great, great, great grandfather, you know, scalping Sue in Oklahoma yeah. in 1849 right, right. or whatever. Like, 
Yeah. I'm lucky to not have that, I think. And yes. Um yes. and then like I've had and I have a tradition of military service, but it's always been in like really weird non-combat roles. Like mm-hmm. I have a great grandfather who served in World War One in the Air Force in like the balloon corps. Like he was just a spotter. Like he just, I, I don't even know if he went up in the balloons, but that's, I guess I don't even know if he went to Europe. Um, <laughs> but like that was his service. And then he came back and just like farmed in Nebraska. Mm. <laughs> and um, yeah. and then my grandmother joined as a, a nurse in World War II and was stationed in Wyoming caring for German POWs. And mm. then yeah, my yeah. grandfather was also served but was stationed in alaska in a cold storage unit like (laughs) um i don't know i think i right they're just i don't know so i grew up grew up like hearing all these army stories but it was like about the boring shit which is most of what military service is yeah you know and i was jealous of like oh you know kids oh my grandfather was in like world war ii and then now i'm like oh yeah they didn't talk about it we just kind of knew it as a fact like yeah yeah um or like, uh, I don't know. I have what one uncle is like, if you, I'm just thinking, yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. Yeah. D- um, all to say, I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to justify my, my obsession with war stories and action cinema <laughs> and stuff by like, Oh, like I know a bunch of people who are served, but yeah, now I'm just like thankful they were in roles that weren't in combat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I used to be very like jealous of friends who had, you know oh they saw action or whatever and crazy then, war you know, stories you, then you like grow up and it's like oh no that shit sucks that's yeah, not that good awful. <laughs> it's nothing to be proud of like yeah. it's um hmm. i don't know just, yeah so yeah. i don't know so there's just i don't know right the being from the midwest is often a disavowal of like the messier history like i mean it's it's not like being from the south where like you know s- slavery is a very you see the you can draw a direct yeah. line from conditions all the way back to slavery and it's like there's some of that with like the reservations and stuff in Minnesota but it's not it's not actually the same no same, actually yeah. there i mean there is a a history there there was like a um so i'm from a town called Malacca in central minnesota mm-hmm. it's south of a lake called Malax Lake which is just french for bunch of lakes um yeah. and in the original like ojibwe <laughs> anishinaabe or i i don't know if it was I probably should have read up on that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) those specific facts. Um, But it was just like place of many lakes and it was uh, Mm -hmm. uh, a spiritual lake. Um, And then there's the spirit river that runs out from it. And I I grew up very near like my town. uh, The, the, uh, the spirit lake runs through it. Um, It's named the rum river or the, the spirit river. It's named the rum river now because fur trappers mistook the word for spirit to mean alcohol and they just started referring to it as the Rum River, but it was like it was a sacred river, you know. Yeah, and like then it, it became it, the, the Rum and River, and then it just the Rum River. And then I live in the shitty little town that sprung up because of the logging industry, you know. Like, yeah, it's a, um, and then uh, no, it's um, so and and on on the you know sort of south bank of Lake Malax, that was historically disputed territory between the Ojibwe and the Sioux, and mm. so there was a conflict between them. I think the French, uh, fur trappers, I think they backed the Ojibwe against the Sioux and the Sioux were, um, pushed further South. Um, Hmm. so then in the 1860s, there was basically a KKK, but it was explicitly anti-Indian. Uh, it was called like the Knights of Mankato 
in southern mm. Minnesota that formed to use uh, all political means uh, up to and including violence to push uh, natives off their land in southern mm. Minnesota. Um, so that was part of it. But there was a, a conflict over the land and the Sioux led a resistance and started attacking settlements in, in southern Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that that leads to... Uh, I think we, we passed the anniversary of it, but the execution of 38 Dakota Sioux men on one mm. day, an order signed by Abraham Lincoln, the largest single day execution in American history in like Mankato, yeah. Minnesota. Like, <laughs> um, uh, right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, there's mm. atrocity, but like the connections are just so like, I mean, if you want to talk about a place like Malacca, Minnesota, it's like, you can't, you can't point to a specific battle or 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 massacre of native people but there's a res- reservation on the south bank of uh, you know the banks of Malax lake that's you know that's the ojibwe res- reservation mm. and then just you know i live less than an hour from mankato <laughs> yeah I, I marched in the marching band down the streets of mankato and that was uh, yeah the scene oh. of the largest mass execution in in american history and uh, yeah, being being the the nice uh, people of Scandinavian extraction, we mostly are. We don't want to bring it up in polite comment. right? <laughs> you know? But, um, it's an option. Yeah. Okay, so, so one thing that, that was kind of interesting when I did that internship was, um, I don't want to like name names, but somebody I was, I was working with and some of the people I were working with kind of represented to me what like small town liberals look like in Iowa, which is a kind of a different breed because I was a lot more right wing than Minnesota is, um, especially rural Iowa. Um, cause well, you, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I... Right. I grew up evangelical. Like, yeah. so it's the, I mean, yeah, I'm familiar. Like it's, uh, right. My, my household would anyway, continue. No. Yeah. yeah but, um, well, yeah. Like, I mean, think of when you think of Iowa, you think of like, uh, oh, you know, we have King and some of the, you know, uh, our governor, um, all that good stuff anyway. Um, but so like liberal small town though is kind of its own interesting thing because they still have to kind of reinterpret the past. And I, I was thinking about this because the, uh, the, the, the theater that the Donna Reed Foundation owns um, that I was giving tours of is a German theater, um, which was kind of a, you know, that was kind of a cool side to it is it was this uh, early 1900s German theater that was built by German immigrants, right? Um, it like, it had to change its name from the German name to the English name during World War One because of an angry mob. Yeah. And like... You know, the, the the people I worked with were kind of really conscious of that because they wanted to lean into the Germanness of the theater because uh, Denison has a pretty large uh, Salvadorian population. And so they kind of wanted to reinterpret Denison in the terms of the story of this town was made by immigrants. And so, you know, in the same sense that the Germans were now the Salvadorian that have kind of moved in the next decade will be kind of the same thing. And, you know, let's try to treat them better than we did the Germans, you know, like, and it, it, it's interesting because I don't think that's a bad mentality. I think it's got some good intentions behind yeah. it, but it, it does feel like it, 
isn't treating this like darkness at the core quite in the correct way. Like anti-German sentiment in, you know, during World War One in the Midwest, especially was crazy because the German, you know, like German immigrants generally flocked to Iowa, Missouri, whatever. Right. That's where they lived. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, I don't know, like, you know, it was it was illegal to speak on the, you know, speak German on the phone. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you know, there, there was there was a pretty intense xenophobia that was like occurring at that time. But it's kind of just treated like that was a little embarrassing thing that happened. But we right. we corrected. And at this point, German culture is is completely ingratiated into Iowan culture for the most part. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, because that's there's a very. I, I don't have a concrete example, but like that's kind of how small town liberals are mm -hmm. in the in my town. Like really, I mean, not which isn't to say that like they're phenomenally smart people from <laughs> smart oh, kind. And, and they're like, go, great, going great going people. against yeah. the grain, especially yeah. in the in their contexts. Yeah. Um, but like especially like let's say school administrators and and sort of the wider professional class that existed in Malacca. Like right, it's a lot of good intentions, but like small mindedness and and wanting to avoid the ways in which your community has historically and maybe maybe currently is not the most welcoming to certain people for whatever reason like yeah yeah there's there's sort of a willful blindness to how deep the rot can go and and like how how awful your fellow townspeople can be um because you don't see the brunt of it <laughs> Yeah, I, man, I, I, I recall this, especially, um, it's not a, not a town I lived in, but it's a town that I went to a church in. Um, I went to this small church plant at one point when I kind of at the tail end of my evangelicalism. Um, so it was like 18. Um, and I helped with this, you know, start this church plant. And then, um, I like lost my faith during that time. But <laughs> while I was there, there was some, some crazy shit. So, so it's a small town called Dallas Center, Dallas Center. That's like, a half hour from Des Moines, something like that. So, you know, center of Iowa, small town, um, you know, and I was working at, you know, helping with this church plant and um, it, nothing ever came of this, but a building that was mostly abandoned or not used was, I, I believe getting about to be used by an immigrant thing, some sort of immigrant organization, because suddenly a sign appeared out front that was written in, I don't remember if it was Arabic or an African language of some sort. I it obviously like a you know not not English, and right. <laughs> and it was insane how fast the nice people that I you know in that town turned, and they were like, "We need to contact. We need to make this stop." And it was to a point that uh, I'll give credit to the church plant I was in. The pastor that I, you know, that at that church did a thing shortly at the end of a sermon where he was like, I don't care about your political views. We're called to be welcoming. And so if, if something comes of this, you need to be welcoming to them, even if you politically think they shouldn't be here. And so credit where credit's due. But, you know, it, it was amazing how fast it switched. Like just how, um, you know, they genuinely really friendly, like, like Iowa nice. That's a phrase that people here use a lot. I don't know if there's an equivalent like Minnesota nice or Illinois nice, but you know, people always talk about Iowa nice and <laughs> it's amazing how fast Iowa, like, you know, I, as somebody who's worked like 10 years of service jobs in Iowa, I could tell you that that shit is fake. 
It, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, like, right. I mean, I think every Midwestern state has, like, like Minnesota nice is a thing. Um, I'm not sure about Illinois nice. Illinois has a weird identity because of the, like, split between, yeah, Chicago and the rest of the state. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, is, I don't know. So I- Illinois is is very strange, um, which isn't to say that, no, no, that's the point. Every place in the Midwest is strange. Every place is deeply weird. No, no um, place is perfectly the Midwest. You'll get into yeah. so many arguments when you start talking to Midwesterners from different states about what the Midwest is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because, right, it's like there's no unifying like cuisine. There's a few different like regional dishes that all sort of share a Midwestern sensibility, but there's no mm. real like... Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. like continuity or anything. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. Huh. But no, yeah. I mean the, the insert state nice. No, that that's always already a joke. Cause like, especially when you're talking rural communities, like, uh, it's mostly assholes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird assholes that want a lot of room between them and their neighbors for the yeah. most part. <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I mean, right. I grew up on a two acre plot. I could see neighbors, but I didn't have to go talk to them every day. Like, I mean, right. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, there's this, uh, I mean, yeah. Expectation of, uh, space. I don't know. Yeah. When you have that much land and, uh, like open space at your disposal and it, it does things to you, man. It's not good. Uh, yeah. like I didn't, I don't know. I feel like it's something I've, I've, I don't know if I brought it up to you at, at, at some point, but I don't know if this is sort of a weird pivot into talking about like masculinity or like white masculinity specifically, sure. but like the Midwestern white male is like a, <laughs> a specific, uh, maybe not a specific type, but, uh, it's part of the kind of folklore though, the mythology right. of the Midwest. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it's, yeah, it's very much patterning off of, uh, right. The, the frontiersman or the, the pioneer, mm-hmm. the settler, uh, but right, it's that idea like, oh, I have this land, it's mine to do as I please. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, right. So the main activities are like four wheelers and and guns mm-hmm. and uh, like sort of exercising your will on the land, you know, you, yeah. using it as Conquering you see fit. It. And like my my preferences are all that matter because I can I can take this like plot of land and just do whatever the fuck I want on it, you know, within yeah within reason <laughs> within <laughs> within building codes or whatever um so you haven't gotten that far in the dawn of everything but like uh one of the big ideas they play with is uh schismogenesis um the idea that like you know a people doesn't form of its own voli- volition it usually develops in um in tandem or in response to nearby yeah. people yeah, um, yeah so they use he uses like a lot of uh contrasting like people like uh, in northern on the northern california coast there's sort of a bunch of a bunch of people groups that were sort of agrarian uh that seemed to be very austere value hard work uh yeah, yeah. you know very industrious but like also very like even tempered and equitable society mm. like it it was austere but it was in the pursuit of justice um well further north are are um these like raiding and slave taking uh cultures 
uh, that mm. don't produce and have this very like boastful, flashy warrior culture and aristocracy. Um, but these groups like lived in like pretty close proximity. So they're like, okay, maybe that they, they were developing sort of in response to each other. Um, interesting. And That's so really the, interesting. Yeah. Huh. And so like, uh, and a lot of what the book traces is sort of the development of cities, like, and they're really questioning the sort of accepted wisdom that, oh, we started as hunter gatherers and then we started, uh, you know, we gave up a little piece of our freedom uh, to develop agriculture and civilization so we could, you know, tame our base instincts and, and uh, you know, develop into the future. And there, and, and Wengro and uh, Graber, uh, they sort of reexamine the record and they're like, no, nah, it's a little weirder and a little more circuitous. It's not a straight linear development thing. Yeah. Um, like there's evidence like people knew about agriculture for a very long time but had no interest in basing their society around it. It wasn't like they, they unlocked mm. agriculture and it's like, Oh, we're, we're egg. We do this now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. It's like, they knew how to grow shit. They, they just preferred to be hunter gatherers or like, yeah, yeah. It, it takes seriously the fact that people in any given period of time, regardless of technological development, uh, have opinions about how they should live and decide on how to do that together. Yeah. Like it's always been a radically open question. We're not we're not a slave to the you know specific uh, combination of guns, germs, and steel or whatever that right, like, right you right. know it it it's a choice and it's people acting based on choices they made. Like there was nothing inevitable about anything, which is you know beautiful and terrifying at the same time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> anyway, schismogenesis. So like one of the themes they kind of trace through like these various studies of like all kinds of cultures from like tens of thousands of years of human history is that there seem to be people who group up in like sort of, you know, cities or towns or urban centers and then they're usually surrounded by other people that live in like smaller homesteads and towns and are spread out a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the consistent pattern of human habitability, like, you know, yeah. going, going back to forever. Um, huh. uh, which is, so then, so I've been thinking about like what it means to be a man in a place like I grew up in, in Malacca, mm -hmm. Minnesota. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, as, as with anything, these are, these are under negotiation, but you know, as a, as an evangelical kid growing up in rural Minnesota, like, you know, there was yeah. a very specific vision of what like a manly man is like, I mean, I have a beard, I'm wearing plaid. Like this is, yeah, yeah. this is shit. I picked like, this is <laughs> shit I picked <laughs> up on as a kid. Like this is part, this is me internalizing like what a man looks like, um, to some extent. Um, but right, right. I mean, there is like, you know, it's all the classic traits of like a Jeffersonian yeoman farmer. It's like thrift and uh, yeah, like craftsmanship and and uh, industriousness and um, to a lesser extent like skill in hunting or martial prowess. But I don't know. Yeah, mm. uh, I grew up in more like the gun culture was more farmer and hunter based. Like certainly there are more gun nuts there now, but like. That's a lie. I don't know. <laughs> there have always like, there's been a constant churn of like military veterans and interest in, in like, there's been gun nuts of some stripe in there, but like the overall culture was very much a practical, like, Oh, we're a hunting community. So 
here's mm-hmm. like my family didn't yeah. hunt but like i wanted to take a gun safety course uh like my school offered it so i took it and it was mostly how to gut deer <laughs> like there was they kind of went through the like okay don't shoot at water never point it at a person you know keep the safety on like all the practical mm. stuff and then it was like all right video time uh okay we're gonna watch a guy die of hypothermia and then a guy's gonna show you how to gut and skin a deer in the field um <laughs> <laughs> well i, think I don't know so it was always it was always alongside yeah. like other practical skills you know um but but what's yeah. interesting is because that that that's not skills you need anymore. Oh, not at all. No, it's all it's it's, it's identity, and not necessarily. Yeah. It's not necessarily like a bad thing. Like I, I don't. I'm not like against like fishing yeah. or something, right? Like that's fine. Right. Yeah. But um, those aren't things that like we need anymore. They 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 become hobbies, and they're this like lingering connection to an old pioneer mythology. Because I was thinking about like my my family had a lot of hunters in it. Although I've ever gone hunting, oddly enough, um, because they kind of stopped doing it around the time I was like a kid um but i fished a lot growing up and that was the other thing they were fishers and hunters right but they were also like suburban dads that worked as engineers you know what i mean or something like that right they they were you know my my family was kind of that way you know my my dad does computers stuff you know works with like data and but you know there was you know his his hobby was fishing and you know i it's not like i i don't think he was performing that to you know live back to his pioneer thing i mean he genuinely enjoys it but like i don't know what it's it's interesting how the practices kind of linger as this just kind of tradition that that's like that's what we do as yeah well well it's funny you mention it like the people in the guys in your family are right suburban dads and then it's sort of a hobby that sort of died out with the next generation like yeah because i don't fish (laughs) (laughs) but like right i'm from a smaller town like the hunters and fishers in in Malacca, Minnesota, absolutely hated the hunters and fishers from sub- suburbia. Even though yeah. like they were a similar socioeconomic class, but these were guys who like, you know, they were farmers and construction workers and contractors and stuff. Like, yeah, it was it was only just a little removed from like what the sub. It's like no, you just preferred to live on like a plot of land in the middle of nowhere. Mm. You know, but you're at the same income level <laughs> as as the guy. Uh, as the guy in a diner who owns a fishing cabin up in Malax, like it's, you know, yeah. <laughs> all these towns, you know, Edina is one of the richer suburbs <laughs> for the listeners I, benefit. <laughs> I, I don't know if this, this means anything, but I think it's an interesting addition to it. Um, I, at some point I would love to write a book about my grandfather who I didn't know much because he, he passed when I was like six. Um, Okay, but, that's I had my one of my grandfathers passed away when I was five. So yeah, just the, did, did your grandmother pass away recently? Yeah, she did in November. And my grandmother passed yeah. away in October. That's really <sighs> odd. Yeah, man, we're like, yeah, we're the same person at <laughs> in, in somehow weird ways. in weird yeah. ways. We're the same person. Yeah. Um, but anyway, my my grandfather is is a really he was a fascinating character. Um, but. Part of it was that he, so he moved into the Des Moines suburbs with maintaining this really like rural mentality. And so like they had a pretty big backyard in the suburbs of like this old house and like residential area Des Moines. And he, you know, planted walnut trees and had apple trees in the backyard, like a miniature orchard. He had this 
massive garden and he was constantly pissing off like the homeowners association because like like the circus came into town and he asked them for all their elephant dung to use as fertilizer and had just like a pile of elephant dung in his backyard covered in a tarp and it like inflated from the heat and so like you know all these like suburban people were just horrified at my (laughs) my grandfather but there's something really interesting about him kind of representing, and maybe this is a romantic way of putting it, but like, seems like that pioneer caricature, like he was trying to keep it alive inside of the suburbs in like a really fascinating way. I, I don't know. It it kind of ties into what we're saying where this like, I don't know, this like odd past kind of like I, yeah. I keep, keeps, it's it's like dandelions coming out in the sidewalk. You know what I mean? Like it. Right. It stayed alive in some way, and I don't want to romanticize it either. I think, well, I think we've we've said plenty of reasons why pioneer culture is is right. terrible, but it, yeah, it, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. No, no, uh, that that's like a good tie-in. Uh, something um, kind of from the end of Midwest Futures. So uh, it gets to the end. Uh, he, Phil Chrisman kind of self-consciously brings up the the problematic metaphor of the Midwest as a moral frontier um going mm. into the future um and so th- the reasons for that are uh the midwest is probably one of the places that's going to be pretty okay climate change wise going forward like mm-hmm. like environmentally it's going to be pretty livable for a very long time yeah comparatively and we already have like pretty significant immigrant populations like spread throughout like mm. a, right a salvadorian population in denison iowa yeah um, um, my mom's there's... side of the family i have a lot of mexican in-laws um yeah it's it's a part uh, yeah. of yeah yeah it's yeah and it's gonna keep growing is is what i assume you're right. saying right yeah, yeah exactly it's... well yeah there's that um uh right i mean there's there's plenty of uh um like yeah hispanic folk in, in minnesota uh to um there's the Hmong population in minneapolis uh St. Paul for the most part. Um, St. Cloud, Minnesota, which is like sort of the urban hub for central Minnesota, has a very large Somali immigrant population, mm, um, which yeah. I never tire of sharing with people um, because that was always fascinating to like go down like the main drag and sort of slowly see like uh, like a Som- like like a halal butcher opening up on, <laughs> yeah, on yeah. there. And then it's it's like just, oh, it's another Dairy Queen and another like awful like uh just knock off fast food shit and yeah, yeah i mean you know all the usual suspects too but uh right i mean it's it, it was a very unattractive and crassly commercial area but then like there's all uh which i mean it's it's like the halal butcher opens in like a closed gas station like it's this reoccupation mm-hmm. of like um i don't know yeah so i mean there's there's all these people already here uh you know and so what and what, what phil christmas means by a moral frontier is like you know the you know especially as like you know white people who live here like the task going forward is like being hospitable like yeah you know our vision for the future of the midwest you know has to be one of like people trying to come here mm-hmm. um people you know fleeing wherever to come here and and the the challenge is to welcome them <laughs> and yeah. not and not let our own communities harden and fracture further uh I uh, so I did not read Midwestern Futures for this episode, but I read a Vox article by Phil Chrisman that was, uh, you know, he covered a lot of similar ground. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know if this is tied exactly to the moral futures thing, but it, but he was he was pointing to the history of 
like like the forgotten parts of Midwestern history. So like the labor movement being a really big part of, you know, the, the Midwest, um, you know, the Midwest's history. And like um, St. Louis played a pretty big role in the uh, the civil rights movement. Hmm. Um, I got to see a cool exhibit in a museum in St. Louis on that. And, um, I, I, you know. So, so there's there's stuff from the past that can be kind of grabbed and reclaimed in the Midwest. I, I do believe. Um, maybe that's a little optimistic, but no. But there's, I, yeah, I, no, no, yeah. I think yeah. that that's absolutely the task is like grabbing hold of this much weirder history. Yeah, um, and like not being embarrassed about it. I don't. Mm. It, it's weird how the path forward is kind of like maybe steps toward forging a more solid Midwestern identity, but maybe that yeah. can be done in a good way. That's not, you know, that's not uh, centering white dudes. Well, uh, um, well, right. Because, uh, Oh fuck. He, he points out a really interesting thing in that, that article he wrote for Vox where he's like, you know, why is it that the Midwest is a concept some white guy from New York could be Midwestern in our mind. And then like Ilham Omar, who like got elected in Minneapolis, you know, is in Midwestern in people's minds. Right. right. And so, you know, kind of, even though I was poking at it with Denison, there is an element of maybe that whole reclaiming the whole immigrants make Midwest thing might not be bad because on the other hand, like that's, that's where this, this goes. Right. Yeah. And we, I don't know, the the Midwest is going to be the refuge for a lot of people. And I don't know. So like, I, I, I think that for those who, if, if anybody, you know, if you're listening to this and you're in the Midwest and you intend to stay in the Midwest, right? Your, your job morally in some regard or another is going to be keeping an eye on this situation yeah. as it happens, you know, like. Yeah, immigrants I, are coming <laughs> i mean we're seeing like um i mean i feel like the like 2020 uh you know was kind of the uh man I, well covid covid overall and and especially like the police response to the uprisings in 2020 um yeah. are have been the dress rehearsal for how this country has its presently structured is going to handle the ongoing climate crisis and uh um which is uh repression repression violent oh, yeah. repression um so i don't know because like alongside like the overall police response you saw a lot of wealthy enclaves hire private security firms um yeah to like secure their secure their shit um I think like like a homeowner I don't know if it like I think it was a homeowners association like in Wicker Park which I live pretty close to in Chicago like yeah they hired a private you know armed guards to patrol their neighborhood uh yeah um like uh, it's like it like they're like I don't know the elite are starting to like clamp down you know they're 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 going to like try and enter the lifeboat to see if they can ride it out like pretty quick here um I have thought about a future episode of this, um, getting someone on to talk about 2020 BLM protests in Des Moines. Um, you know, I've gone into this in a little bit of depth. Like I talked about it when I came on Odd Splice at one time, and I talked about it um, a couple times on VLVC, one when I was interviewing Aaron Calvin, who's a journalist from around here, um, who did a bunch of some of the only good reporting during BLM. Um, but... Th- it was uh it was an insane period 
um, because it that Midwest nice facade like fell. You know, yeah. there was a, there was a sense that history doesn't happen in Iowa is like kind of I don't know. That's a, a thing that I kind of just believed, right? Right. And yeah. well, I mean, yeah, I think that's I, I, right. Not to do, but yeah, I no, mean, no, I yeah. think that is a pretty common Midwestern feeling. I mean, yeah. I, and then um, suddenly I'm at a protest. And, you know, you know, in front of the Capitol building in Des Moines, Iowa, and there's fucking like armed Jeeps with turrets on them and shit. Like our, our police have been funded like to that extent that they, they had like it, it didn't get used on us. But the like sonic guns that people were talking about, we fucking have those here. Like we right, had a cop yeah. with one of them. Like, and of course, yeah, the Des Moines PD needs the sonic yeah, gun. Yeah, D- <laughs> DMPD apparently needs that. And. Fucking, uh, oh, and what you were mentioning about the the armed guards and stuff. I, I don't know if I saw any, I, you know, who knows if people with guns were hired or not, right? But right. there was this one, one of the most intense protests. It did not break out into like any sort of riot clash kind of thing. It was just a really long, tense standoff. Uh, we had blocked out a actually no it did it did break out into a thing later that night but it was because we relocated and then the bad shit happened downtown but we were in this uh this kind of area called merle hay um it's kind of like a suburb where like the mall is and stuff though it's like the commercial area of a suburb in the des moines area and that was a really bizarre moment because we're we're blocking off this pretty major road right and all of the uh there's all these like car uh dealerships on on Merle Hay or a couple small ones the owners of the car dealerships had gotten onto the roofs of there and they had guns pointed at us ready to go if something broke out and so in part that was why you know the like leaders were trying to de-escalate it because they were like if a clash goes down we're pretty sure these guys like might shoot us right oh my god it, you know t- tense yeah. day but like yeah um yeah later on the cops kettled people downtown and it was a great time but um Jesus. But yeah, like what what was so odd about that, and I, I still keep thinking about it, is there was this sense whenever we ran into counter protesters that they were like, get these outsiders out. And like these people is- live here. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. No, uh like like as much our city as yours, right? Or as uh, you know, I'm you know a white guy, but like as much as like the black guy I'm there with city as as the guy with the guy, it's both yeah. the fucking city. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. And but but there is that like there is kind of a, a whiteness in the exception, like the idea of what the Midwest is, right? And yeah, the, this this is the where the the moral frontier, like like yeah. Phil Christmas kind of playing with there, really matters because like these tensions are just going to keep ramping up and yeah, immigrants are coming a lot of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to, how are we going to treat them when they get here? Yeah, right. I mean, is it, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you give into the worst impulses or, you know, is there, is there enough goodness here, you know? And yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, man. Uh, weird fucking times. Weird fucking times. Weird fucking times. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah. I mean, just to, just to riff on like my, my protest experience, like I, I'm just, I'm just a coward for the most part. Um, if I wasn't unemployed, uh, I, I probably wouldn't have gone to as much as I did, but I <laughs> had no excuse. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, I could play through red dead redemption too. 
yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah i went to like one protest on the north side and it was like a really yeah, yeah. like organized tame affair and i left before dark but you know there was sort of the contingent that was going to keep the march going after dark and uh like yeah. uh, i mean i was following some like accounts that were like following the the police scanner and just like after dark in chicago for was just yeah. wild um like i'm just i am not i am not built for that uh, <laughs> uh I, yeah um yeah i mean no, yeah even yeah 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 even going up there like yeah we were we were passing through commercial districts and like yeah there were people on the roof like i didn't see the guns out but like there's a guy standing there with one of those like call of duty skull balaclavas it's like yeah you got the fucking ar-15 stashed somewhere don't you yeah like, oh yeah like just waiting for an excuse like um but yeah how that that facade just drops like uh man it's so weird be, like living in chicago but then like the made like George Floyd being killed in Minneapolis. And then like, you know, yeah, it matters. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, just like, um, no, I, I even remember like, like Ferguson or, and just, uh, Philando Castile. Like I was living Mm. in Minnesota at the time when that happened. Um, and then like, I, like I'm, I don't fuck with Facebook that much anymore, but I was still like checking people's posts. And I was in a period of time where I had ill-advisedly uh, friended a bunch of people from high school and this like really oh, stupid, no. uh, <laughs> like, oh, I need to reconnect with my roots um, type deal. I go through um, phases of that. But yeah. then like, right. Just on a dime, like a lot of, a lot of like people I knew to be, you know, very nice and friendly and, you know, had experienced a measure of heartbreak in their lives that I think, you know, would open their hearts a little bit, you know, as soon as like, uh, I, I think there, there was a, there was a March that blocked a highway. Mm-hmm. Um, and like on a dime, like all these people are just like, I should be able to legally run my truck over these protesters. I will not be late to work over this. Like just no, no provocation whatsoever. Just like, yeah. no, uh, no moment of reflection no no impulse to like try and understand what happened as far as they know anybody who gets shot by the police deserves it and it's nothing to be late to work over you know it's like yeah because you grew up in a monochrome community like you don't yeah you you never (laughs) uh i don't know nothing in your life made you had to I, i don't know i don't know man Yeah, and, and in part, that's, I mean, maybe, maybe like, your, your thing about the, making the Midwest weird is, like, uh, so, sorry, the, uh, I can connect this. This was a brain oh, jump. Like yeah, no, it's great. No, so making the Midwest weird is maybe a part of this, because I think an element of the way this functions is, you know, the Midwest is the mythology of normal. And so, like, yeah, getting disrupted on your way to your nine to five is, you know, you will be violent to maintain that kind of just like sense of normalcy. Yeah. And th- and that's why, I mean, that's why everyone was, I mean, even myself included, freaked out by the protests when they broke out in Des Moines, because it was like, this is like my normal city that nothing happens in. And, you know, now they're flooding Court Avenue with tear gas. Um, yeah. But maybe emphasizing that, you know, I, I don't want to be cliche and say like diversity, but that weirdness that there's this like that it this isn't a normal place. This isn't just this like amorphous, uh, 
you know, town. <laughs> you know, well, the, I mean, <laughs> the fact of the matter is like people lived for thousands of years here before people mm-hmm. with our skin tone showed up with yeah. guns. Um, and, uh, so actually, so of, there's been a touch. So, uh, um, I think I mentioned earlier, all the books I've been reading. So kind of right. The right. Circling back to the, uh, sort of searching for a Midwestern weirdness there, there is some deep lore that all of those books I mentioned sort of, um, touched on. And that's, uh, the, the, the mounds at Cahokia in Missouri. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in, in, yeah, uh, like Phil Chrisman touches on it as like, uh, right. Just proof that there is something, you know, here before us, uh, before us. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, dawn of everything um so did you read the chapter on like uh like the indigenous critique of of european of the enlightenment no that's like chapter two or three no um, he he starts hinting early on that that's a thing he's going to okay about but yeah. i didn't get to it yeah okay yeah so in that cha- so he he uh they they reconstruct a lot of um uh i forget what um but an indigenous thinker named Kandiaronk, Kandiaronk, I don't know. I read mm. it. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Um, but, you know, who was, you know, uh, a thinker and leader who, like, went to Europe and, you know, his his thought was in the salons and very much a part of it. And, like, oh, so a lot of, like, the Rousseauian conception of freedom actually comes out of indigenous thought. Um, but they circle back to him mm. at the end of the book and, like, sort of okay, so if this is what this guy thought at this point uh, during, you know, the early, you know, these, you know, America's not quite a thing. It's still just the 13 colonies. Like, westward expansion isn't written in stone yet. Um, This guy thinks this, and he articulates this really bold and very contemporary feeling or contemporary, like, concept of freedom and individuality Mm -hmm. and all this stuff that we kind of just take as a given now, but is sort of packaged to us as like our 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 great inheritance from the european enlightenment thinkers um mm. you know is actually oh it's an indigenous concept it's already came from here um but where cahokia plays in is the reason like you know individuality and freedom were so valued in a vast swath of peoples uh on the american continent was the civilization at cahokia was probably like had a pretty intense like religious aristocracy and was organized Mm. around like sports and games and feats of uh like warrior prowess and strength uh i'm Mm. i'm kind of paraphrasing here um but like they had you know people were enslaved and there were human sacrifices like it was you know Mm. it was not good it was a bad bad thing and it can it was the uh right the the people who built the mountains at cahokia we don't know who they were what language they spoke, but there's some like yeah. we're kind of like in in Dawn of Everything specifically, they're piecing it together from like um, you know taking schismogenesis serious mm-hmm. schismogenesis seriously. Oh, if these people believed this, like, and they all have these like oral traditions that are like, oh yeah, we kind of moved north because we got the the fuck out. Of, you know, there was like a an evil witch that <laughs> ran an unjust. Uh, there's like some really great like folklore in there about like, you know, sort of a, an oppressive society that these people yeah. like, uh, came from or, um, you know, uh, fled and started their own new. So there's like this, 
if if we uh there's a deeper tradition of like libertary discourse in the midwest i think oh, yeah. uh, there's some there's some deep weird lore here um hmm. i think i don't know i just i i was very taken with the image of like oh there is this like you know evil empire for you know on, on a smaller yeah, yeah, scale yeah. not not quite the same but like it it's sort of all these people like oh that's bad and then you know we get um sort of this like tradition of liberation that that also kind of connects back to it um, yeah but that also sort of wends its way through european thinkers i don't know it's just very shit's bizarre man history is bizarre history is bizarre history is weird yeah um i think we should probably move toward wrapping up here yeah, yeah. um i i'm glad we kind of just like did this winging it thing though because there's been so many weird things that have come up it's been interesting yeah yeah it's a nice well i mean that's i mean that just it, the midwest is not one thing like like no there's, no I, all there is are shades and aspect and this is like all the stuff that's like on the top of mind because of what i've been reading are i mean like yeah, yeah. josiah has a draft of a novel like he inspired i guess yeah kind of inspired me to start a novel that has a lot of similar thematic concerns um uh but i mean the process of writing that has actually spurred on a lot of this reading i i got to a point where it's like okay there's shit i want to write about that i don't really know enough about yet and i'm i'm yeah and i'm trying to play with this idea of the ancient history of america the ancient history of of the midwest um oh man uh that that reminds me on sort of the fringier end of things there's this guy named peter lavenda who wrote uh his first book was on like the crossover between like on the nazi international post-world war ii and like he did a lot of early work on um colonia dignidad which i think netflix put out a documentary about which is like a fucked up pedophile torture camp started by a nazi in chile jesus the 60s um and was like a node in the rat line for the third Reich. Okay. So it was started in like the forties. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like Nazi Nazis fled to South America. Like that was a point. Um, and then the CIA started fucking with them and the started, uh, using them, uh, oh, at, interesting. at certain points yeah, yeah. In, during the cold war. Um, so that's where Peter Lo- and Peter Lavenda, like, I don't know. He was just one of those weird sixties guys. That's like, Oh, let's invent a religion. You know, he was like kind mm-hmm. of the, like yeah, into yeah. discordianism and shit like that. Like, you know, <laughs> kind of a similar temperament as like the dudes who like played the prank that started the Illuminati conspiracy theory. Man, this but, like, is not something version. you could just drop on a podcast with <laughs> 20 minutes to go. Sorry. No no, no. Uh, no, no, you're good. You're good. Keep going. Oh God. Anyway, no, um, <laughs> I, I so I started reading like the first volume of Sinister Forces and and he's done a lot of work with like he's doing fiction now and he's playing a lot with like the Cthulhu myth- mythos and yeah yeah uh, his characters are like I need to read his shit like his fiction but um he does a lot of like uh parapolitical research which is a very murky area but that's where a lot of the good yeah. like CIA shit comes from like if you want I don't know I'm I, like a side concern i'm watching the unit which is a cbs show about delta force guys written like created by david mamet during the war on terror so it's like (laughs) it's some fucked up propaganda but i love it i'm just i'm just all in on like clancy and yeah yeah. bullshit right now um alongside like history and um yeah yeah you know kind of i'm trying to trace a couple traditions as it were um anyway uh 
anyway, like he kind of ties in uh, the mound builders and like a lot of stuff like so a lot of like early American weird spirituality like Mormonism uh, and then like a lot of stuff that happens in sort of like occult and esoteric traditions mm-hmm. uh, comes from folklore around like the mounds and maybe the Cahokia civilization and like, you know, elder gods. So the concept of the elder gods is comes could could plausibly be traced back to like a supersession of native american spirituality like you know the um, yeah and so i don't i don't know the way some of these themes kind of like the circuit that's why i kind of keep my finger on the pulse of like a cult and esoteric history because like as like weird and awful as some of that shit is like yeah it's also like part of it's still history. Like it's still, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, and so there's, there's something about like the land itself driving the white man mad. Um, yes. Yeah. That's sort of so like, yeah. like the Cthulhu mythos, like, I mean, being one of the most popular mythologies full stop. I mean, especially like among white people, I guess like, yeah. I don't know. I read a lot of Lovecraft. A lot of the shit I like is Lovecraft derived. Um, I'm really smitten with, you know, cosmic horror and right derivatives of that like um Hmm. i don't know and and just the fact that there's like a fundamental americanness or like a midwesternness like i mean you can trace like there are all these strange connections to uh right history writ large and then like the small scale history of like the region itself but like I don't know. You know, Manson grew up in Oklahoma. Oklahoma's like, you know, and yeah. his town was in like a. Uh, there were mounds in the town he grew up in, and I don't. Uh, like, I mean, like, if you want to get into yeah, all yeah. the synchro mystic, sh- I don't know what my point was, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. The mid the Midwest is fucking weird, and I mean, like, there's yeah. just all this stuff that runs through it, and um, I mean, if we want to work our way to towards a, a conclusion here, I mean, I think we need to like, you know, take up the challenge of Phil Chrisman and, uh, you know, imagine the Midwest as a more like, as a weird like that place. Is ta- right. I mean, you know, for better and worse. And I think like, I mean, like an immediate task I think is like on, uh, 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 uh to kind of riff on subject matter in, in your book, which will, you know, hopefully see the light of day sometimes. I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to, we have to unearth, uh, you know, the sins of our fathers. Um, yeah. For, I mean, I think we need to deal with like the deep rot, uh, of white supremacy and patriarchy that sort of structures the idea of the Midwest and then right. Rec- you know, listen, um, listen, I don't, it, it's like creating a, I don't want to say like creating a new ancestry, but I mean, how, I mean, this is how sticky it is. How do we as, mm. as white men who, who like, you know, we're, we're beneficiaries of a certain conception of the Midwest. How do we, yeah. how do we interface with, how do we become a part of, how do we, uh, you know, grab hold of those that lived here before us in a non-appropriative way? How can we be, yeah. how we, right. How do we become proper allies to that tradition? Um, yeah. yeah. and I don't know. It's a, it's a big question. Um, Anyway, I want to write a big gory horror book about it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I want to. I want to keep writing about it. Honestly, it's a reoccurring thing. I mean, because because what else are I mean, you and I going to write about in a sense, right? There's there's an aspect of the Midwest is just part of I mean, yeah I, who it's, we are. Um, I don't know. I I guess I'll, I'll yeah pivot into like a bit of a bit more of. I mean, we've been talking about you know biographical stuff, but yeah, I. 
I've spent my life sort of like running away from my hometown, but never really getting out of the Midwest or like the Great Lakes region. So I've lived in multiple mm. countries, but it was Toronto. Like I was still <laughs> like yeah. on, on the shores of a Great Lake and not, you know, still like in a region that could be, you know, for all intents and purposes is Midwestern in yeah, temperament yeah. And, and, and feel. Um, been in, yeah, Minnesota, Michigan, Ontario, Illinois for now. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm now like, I haven't been able to like produce and now, now I'm finding it easier, but it's more in the sense that I'm like comfortable with like, Oh, I am a Midwesterner. Yeah. You know, for what, for like, you know, in the, in the past, it was always something like, Oh, this is something I'm like sort of half-heartedly ashamed of. Like, right. It's that like, Oh, we're just normal. There's nothing special about me. I'm a Midwesterner. And it's like, Nah, I'm special. I'm a Midwesterner. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, like, despite all the darkness that we've talked about, there is an element of like finding a way to to take in this kind of identity thing. Yeah, and I, um, you know, a, a movie that's not about the Midwest, but to me felt like about the Midwest was uh was Lady Bird. Um, oh yeah, I watched that pretty recently. Oh yeah, actually. so it's fresh. No, <laughs> no. No, I, I, it's cause a, all I've been thinking is like Sacramento Midwest solidarity. Like somehow that's yeah. a very similar because like Sacramento is like, so it just occupies, if, if not geographically, it occupies a similar place in the American ma- imagination that the Midwest. Yes. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, I mean the, the general conclusion the film comes to is, you know, if you haven't seen it, you know, listener, um, you know that you know there's there's a girl that's trying to get out of Sacramento that she, you know she wants to escape and you know with college and whatever she wants to be an artist somewhere else you know what i mean and you know the movie kind of comes to a conclusion that Sacramento is part of you whether you leave or not yeah it's well, the- you know and the, the, there's a great line about how love is paying attention even if she's writing all this shit about how much she hates Sacramento She's paying more attention to it than somebody who actually hate who would actually hate it, and you know, that, I mean, that's this this episode of this podcast is yeah, it, it, is much a love letter to the Midwest as it is a critique of it, and you know, I I think that's a conclusion that that more people should come to if especially if you're you're in the Midwest is what what do I make of this and outside of just the cute jokes yeah. of like. You know, oh, I, you know, I grew up around corn, but more like, what, what does this, this mean to be from yeah. here? Right. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's also like, uh, reading an indigenous people's history, like the American Indian mm. movement started in Minneapolis, like, you know, yeah, Fred yeah, yeah. Hampton's from Chicago, like, uh, mm. yeah, I mean, they're right. There's just deeper traditions here. Um, I mean, yeah. but like, I mean, especially if you're in, you know, live in nowhere in the Midwest, like, I mean, I, I live in Chicago. This is like the epicenter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's all, like almost to the point of being like a separate entity. Um, but hmm. I don't know. Yeah. There's still value in being from those nowhere towns. Like, I mean, if, yeah. if like, especially if you're <laughs> listening to this podcast, I mean, yeah, you're okay. Kind of. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. I don't know. You're asking like, right. I mean, as much as there's like a, Right, a tradition of of burying and covering over the unpleasant truths about mm. your community. I mean, there's just as many people who are, you know, decide they want no part of it, mm. and and uh, you know, stay and try to make things better or leave yeah. and speak back into it. But yeah, I mean, you're like 
you're not served by trying to cut that part of yourself off like yeah no right i mean right I, that that scene in ladybird with the nun saying like yeah you wrote beautifully about sacramento like i mean it's uh, right because yeah. right like hate and love aren't totally opposites like, like right it's, it's weird like that like you're still attached you're still invested even if you hate yeah <laughs> um, yeah absolutely i don't know and so it's just like right like whatever i i mean i'm i got a good decade on you age wise like i don't know what that means who i mean we're not gonna <laughs> people go people have their own journeys whatever but yeah uh, i don't know i mean it took me a long time to like get comfortable and embrace the fact that i'm from here and then like mm-hmm. because i mean especially like growing up is like i mean my my heart's ambition as as a as a young lad was to be a filmmaker um and i don't know just running into the wall like not having ideas not having the yeah. work ethic to really pull it off not being interested in hanging out with the people that i needed to in order to like yeah. make movies like i mean it was just a constant like ah oh, this isn't for me um but i never left the midwest like <laughs> yeah um uh, and then being able to sort of or uh i don't right yeah wanting to you know, be a storyteller on the great American stage. Like you're just constantly told like, Oh, your Midwestern stories aren't worth much. You know, they're less, yeah. than, they're not as exciting. They're not as truly American as an East coast or a West coast story or an immigrant story. You're just a white boy from nowhere. Um, uh-huh. hmm. But then it's like, okay, I'm a white boy from nowhere. What does that mean? And then, yeah, I don't know. You just, as age goes on, I've just found it easier to embrace these things as, as part of myself rather, mm-hmm. rather than something that needs to be run away from or suppressed. Like, yeah, I, I there's think a way, it, there's a way to embrace it and carry it forward and, you know, leave behind the things that aren't good. I, I think like a conclusion we're kind of coming to, and I mean, it's, it's one I've, I think we've both been playing with a lot is almost like we are asking for a, a new artistic movement of like regionalism like i like midwestern regionalism you know what i mean like to kind of like like, think about this place because we need some imagination about this place yeah because because it's gonna end up being the center of america in a lot of ways if you know if if climate change plays out as the way we've kind of been you know implying I mean, right. We, we, we can only see things from our current vantage point. And I'm sure, sure like, uh, I, I mean, could be endlessly I'm, more complicated than, right. Yeah. I mean, but from general trends, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah. The, 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 fu- yeah, the future is very much up for grabs here. And there are some mm-hmm. very, very powerful dynamics that are like, you know, as much as we don't want to be the center of attention, we're going to be whether we sure, like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you I, know, yeah, um, can, can you find or create some sort of beauty here? That's, yeah. that's the task. You know, I have, um, I have just like a little small version of a Grant Wood painting on my wall in front of me right now. And I, I, I like go back to like Grant Wood as a really interesting artist sometimes because I, he is a distinctly Midwestern artist to me. Um, I think uh, I think American Gothic is kind of an overrated painting of his. I think okay, his yeah, regional yeah. stuff is what is much more interesting because he he saw the Midwest closer to how I see it, and he he's able to find a beauty to it that um, I don't know something to it that you know he doesn't portray the Midwest as flat, which is what outsiders see. Yeah, uh, he portrays it as hilly, and you know. 
whatever. And that's, that's a yeah. detail that a lot of actually Midwesterners, I feel like come to a lot. Um, John Darnielle, uh, who is yeah. someone I'm amazed they didn't bring up through this whole thing because I'm, right, yeah. I'm a huge mountain goats <laughs> I mean, fan and he's from distinctly Iowa. Distinctly Midwest. Yeah. He's distinctly so Midwest. Midwest. Yeah. Uh, but he has a line in universal yeah. harvester about, um, holding on to memories and he connects it to, you know, these like little insignificant memories of someone you're grieving for. Right. But he connects it to the landscape in the Midwest. And he says, you know, you hold on to them because one day they might be important and they live kind of like Hills that are too low to have names. And like, I, it's so good. It's such a good line. And I, I, I'm butchering it and paraphrasing it a little bit, but it, yeah. For, okay. Uh, if you want to get into Midwest, you should read Universal Harvester and, and <laughs> Wolf and White Van. But uh, <laughs> great, great novels. But um, yeah, there's there's a beauty here. There is a beauty here. And yeah. if there isn't one, make one. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I think we can finally just come to a point where we can say, you know, uh, fuck the coasts. <laughs> uh, That's the takeaway. Don't don't tell my Chicago three. Pizza my three. is superior. Um, Thank you. Yeah, don't no, tell my I, three three Mammonberg co-hosts. No, I I've <laughs> like oh man, I'm on a weird detente with Jackal on that. I don't. I think in my heart of hearts, I think Deep Dish is is pizza, but I've subs- I've I've given away too much ground to really claim that position. <laughs> like because I I like pizza in all of its forms. <laughs> I love Deep Dish so much. Yeah. I, yeah. That's the main. I'm that's just, the main. I'm just message. not willing to let this divide us. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I think that's, that seems like a good. That seems like a good conclusion. Create, create some beauty, everybody. Yeah, write, write your song. Write your write song. Your book, paint your picture and shoot uh, your video. Like, and yeah. uh, and fight fascists in the U.S. because yeah, uh, we need a we need an immigrant Midwest. <laughs> Keep the Midwest weird. <laughs> keep the Midwest weird. That's good. <laughs> make, make, and, make and keep it weird. Yeah. Woke up in the 20s and there were flappers and fruits and white suits. And it was right before the crash. We got thrashed throughout the 30s, queuing up for soup and scabby sores. Then they sent us off to war We came back in the 40s And there were wheelchairs, guns, and ticker tape We put it on the floor And we made love to the interstates We got shiftless in the 50s Holding hands and going steady Twisting into dark parts of the large Midwestern cities Some blissful little hippie Some Kennedys got shot while you were screwing San Francisco and the 70s got heavy, we woke up on bloody carpets Got tangled up in gas lines and I guess that's where it started and the 80s almost killed me, let's not recall them quite so fondly Some Kennedy OD'd while we watched on MTV And in the 90s we were wired and well connected Put it all down on technology and lost everything we invested. We gotta start it off with a positive jam. Gotta start it with a positive jam, man.
What's your love, clever kids? I'm steady And I got bored when I didn't have a band Until I started a band, man We're gonna start it with a positive jam 